Yep. Jay Rodney Bingenheimer. Yeah, and this is uh the Rock Show episode. Jesus Christ, sixty-four. Wow, we've been banging them out, right? Yeah, we've been banging out. For this one, I got like a nice collage of pictures with him with some people. I'm gonna pull up when we do the YouTube, so it's gonna be nice. That's cool. That's cool. That'd be good. You've been doing that real good with the different pictures and collages. Yeah. It's fucking cool. it's weird when you gotta when you gotta reinvent yourself because of the situation. Hey, that's what it's about, man. You know, we're not gonna let down our fans and stop doing the show. We'll just adapt. Yeah, we adapt. You know, we might not have, but we're doing a lot of stuff. So we're talking to a, a guy that was an interesting character, man, from the time that he was fucking born and like pretty much abandoned by his fucking mother. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a story in itself. And then uh He's one of these guys that really has had a hand in, in, in a lot of things related to music and movies and, and different celebrities he's been involved with. Uh, celebrities love this guy. Yeah, they do. Right off the bat, his personality was like magnetic and he was sincere and they liked that about him at a time when, you know, maybe you couldn't trust everybody. Yeah. Okay. He was a guy that they trusted and he... You know, he, he never capitalized on it, though. I mean, he didn't make himself into a, a, a mogul of any kind or a rich dude. Nah. Okay. He just was a fan and he stayed a fan. And, and he, well, you know, when he became a DJ in, at KROQ in California, yeah. he influenced so many things and, and, and got so many careers off the ground. But yet he's a simple guy. Dude, that motherfucker was one of the first people to play Coldplay. I was shocked yeah. by that. Yeah, definitely. You want to hear me and him got something in common? What's that? We were both born December 15th. Oh, yeah, that's right. It's the same birthday as you. He was born December 15, 1946. I was born December 15, 72. And the other guy that shared a birthday with me is also Billy the Artist. Yeah, that's right. I remember that. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So you want to get into this? Let's get into it, man. What you got for me? All right. Well. Like you said, born December 15th, 1946, uh, Rodney Bingenheimer. Uh, he was born in Mountain View, California. Now, his parents separated when he was three. Yeah, that's crazy. And his mother, yeah, he never really knew his dad very well growing up. Um, his mother was what used to be called an autograph hound. Yeah. Okay? And that was a person that was interested in getting celebrity autographs, would kind of do anything to get them. Uh you know, and it, there's funny stories about people like that, you know, like sneaking into places and trapping celebrities and trying to get autographs and stuff. But his mom worked as a waitress and usually at night. And, and that would left Rodney alone a lot as a kid. OK. Yeah. You know, an only child. He didn't have any brothers and sisters living with him. Uh, he was left alone to his own devices. And what he got interested in was music. He would listen to the radio as a kid, uh, the, the, the brand new rock and roll music scene that was starting in the mid-50s with Elvis and others uh, attracted him. He was also interested in, in, in movies, movie stars. He collected autographs like his mom. He would read movie magazines and music magazines back to front every day. He was obsessed with that stuff. Yeah. Okay. And that was his life. Um, an early obsession of his would be Elvis. The guy has, to this day, an incredible Elvis collection of things. Yeah. Uh, uh, 
you know, one of the things we'll, we'll mention in this in this show is the documentary, The Mayor of the Sunset Strip. Yeah, do you see like he gave somebody an old an Everest autograph that he was the first thing he got the first like week he was there or whatever? Yeah. Yeah, it was an Elvis autograph, I think. Yeah, it was a... Yeah, I mean th- th- this documentary for all who are interested came out in in 2003 directed by the late director George Hickenlooper. He died a few years back. Um a great movie about Rodney's life, uh, and we'll talk more a little, a little bit more about it later. But it's definitely, uh, you know, I drew a lot of information from that. I made you watch it, right? You like it? It was right? good. I was, I was into about the Kim Fowl and what he did to the Runaway, because the oh, run, yeah. the Runaways was young, and that girl make him see that he fucked all the Runaways. Well, no, he didn't fuck them physically, but, but he sent a lot of problems their way okay <laughs> if you ever saw if you ever saw the runaways movie the kim fowley character is played pretty pretty accurately <laughs> he drove them he drove them like a drill sergeant but he treated them like awful but that was that was uh in the movie that was sherry curry talking yeah she was, she was the singer now in in the joan jett documentary bad reputation she speaks a little more highly about kim yeah. He was a guy that we need to do a show about. He was oh, a nutcase. I was definitely thinking about that after seeing that document. We definitely need to do a show he, on that guy. He, he had some career, that guy. And he was good friends with Rodney. That's, yeah. the, that, that's what that was about. But um, in Rodney's early years, uh, he had his mother only. And she was kind of controlling in his life. Uh, they would bump heads a lot because she would tell him what to do. Uh, as he got into his teenage years, that you know, naturally becomes more of a problem. Yeah. He had a crush on, on celebrity Connie Stevens as a teenager. Yes. Okay. And one day when he was 16, his mother said, let's go to Connie Stevens house and get her autograph. Cause in, you know, in California, you could find out where these celebrities live Their their celebrity houses are on maps and stuff like that. You know, there's, there's tours through Beverly Hills and you can see, where these people live. Yeah. So he actually had a little overnight bag with him and they drove into, into that area where she lives. And she said, go ahead, go knock on the door and get the autograph. And he left and she took off. <laughs> she did. I mean, talk off, fuck, Right. Yeah. She, she did took off. But they, they talk about even where he went to like a diner or something waiting for his mom. Yeah. And like the girl that was there fed him and, Finally, well, he went, right. He went, he went. He went down the street to because he had nowhere to go. Yeah. Because when he knocked on the door, the, the the housekeeper said Connie Stevens wasn't home, so he left. She was on set. <laughs> she was on set somewhere, right, doing something, working, and he just ended up going to the Sunset Strip, and that's where it all began for him. He was like a runaway. Yeah, think about okay? that. And he he wouldn't see his mother for another six years. All right. But he would be on the streets of L.A., and that year was 1963. Very good year for that going on. There was a lot happening on the Sunset Strip in those days. Uh, He befriended actor Sal Mineo, and Mineo is the one that gave him the name, the mayor of the Sunset Strip. Yeah. He also befriended Sonny and Cher, young Sonny and Cher who were up and coming. 
he became an assistant to them, uh, a publicist, a gopher, a friend. They took care of him. Dude, how he weird is it that this guy, like, no, he just went and befriended these people and they fucking took care of him. Like, he had something about him they loved. I think okay. it's that and fucking, he, he a, got like that puppy dog look. I think that's what it is. They felt bad for him. And he had a, a style, a, 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 you know, a clothing style, a, a look yeah. that was. That was that was cool for the time. He had a perfect Brian Jones from the Stones haircut, yeah, old haircut. Okay, <laughs> you know, and that and that look and his personality. He had an incredible knowledge of music. Uh, he would try out for the Davy Jones part for the Monkees. I thought that was when, great. I thought that was and great. He didn't, he didn't get the part. Davy Jones got it, but he would later be working as a double for Davy Jones a couple of times, and he starred as. His actual double in the Monkeys episode, The Prince and the Pauper. Yeah, I remember that episode. Me too. It's I like remember the, that. Yeah, yeah. You know, and that was like his big break with that, and it opened all kinds of doors for him. He, uh, some people used to think he was Davy Jones. I'm sure he used that. Do you see that? I was going to tell you. Do you see that in the documentary? The two, the three women that walk up to, oh look, it's Davy Jones. <laughs> Sure, he got laid a couple of times with that. Yeah, because he, he pretty much looked like Davy Jones from the back. From the back, and, you know, his face was a little different, yeah. but he had the hair, and if you didn't know for sure, you'd think it was him. You yeah. Know? Now, Rodney was a, a soft-spoken guy. Uh, he didn't. He had a little bit of a mousy voice, uh, but everybody liked him. There was a sincerity to him that people were attracted to. Yeah. And, and, and you know, celebrities flocked to him, which is very strange. Yeah. They, they, you know, lots of people trusted him with, with you know, helping them and, and, and being around them and confining in him so, you know, things that they wouldn't tell anybody, you know. And his relationship with Sonny and Cher uh, would open the door to a lot of things for him, too. Uh, he would meet a lot of celebrities through them including Brian Wilson of the Beach Boys, the Beatles, and even Elvis he befriended. Yeah, the guy is amazing, the who's who's. This guy was the who's who. He knew everybody. Yeah, yeah. Do you remember a movie, a Woody Allen movie called Zelig? Yeah. Where he's kind of like this character that's all throughout history, and he's in all these different scenes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's, you know, Rodney Bingenheimer is like a Zelig. Right? He... he you know, there's that there's he's been in video clips, TV shows. He's been at recording sessions, all famous, famous shit. OK, he was remember uh, that band we did and we, we were talking about the video. He was the one that kept clapping. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. The Ramones end of the century. Yeah. He plays. He, he does the hand claps on the return of Jackie and. Jude yes. Song. Yes. Yeah. Yes. He also is if you watch the movie Rock and Roll High School with the Ramones, when you first see the Ramones, they pull up in front of a theater in a pink Cadillac. Yeah. Rodney, Rodney's driving the Cadillac. <laughs> okay. Um, he would have a lot of like side hustles that he would do. And he would work for celebrities as gophers, get things for them, get them coffee, get them things they needed in the store. Uh, he, he, he worked as a caterer, bringing people food. Um, he did all these things, and he had access to... So many people, okay. Uh, he was like the gatekeeper. Yeah, uh, man. Okay, between celebrities and their fans. Yeah, 
Well, in, in in every sense, he was like the old fashioned definition of a groupie. He was the ultimate okay. groupie. Yeah, I mean, it, it, you know, when people think of groupies today, they're thinking sex, right? Yeah. But it, it wasn't always that way, and especially in those days. It wasn't until like probably the early seventies that the term groupie became about you know fucking yeah. people, you know. So, but you I know mean, which woman, got, which girl looked crazy there? Uh, that girl McKenna. Uh, Mackenzie Phillips. Yeah. Yes. Well, Mackenzie Phillips is crazy. He's out of her mind, and but she was like, yeah. that's the same girl that was in um one day at a time. One day at a time, yeah. She, she's, she's Mike. She's, she's John Phillips from the Mamas and Papas daughter. Yeah, she was special. Yes, yeah, she was the older daughter on on One Day at a Time. Yeah, I was just watching that. And I'm thinking she's there. She's like, yeah, we were young and beautiful and taking. Like, you would have pictures of us taking. Dude, that shit. <laughs> well, she was like, that was before One Day at a Time. Yeah, she was. She would hang out at the English disco, which we'll talk about in yeah. a minute. Uh, but she was like 13, 14 years old. I mean, she had done um, the George Lucas movie, American Graffiti. Yes. She's the kid in the in the hot rod with the Milner guy. Yeah. Okay. So that was, you know, that was even before one day at a time. <laughs> she was a crazy. She had a crazy life growing I up. I can see that because I'm looking at her. So, oh, my God, it's the same fucking lunatic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh man, but um, you know, in the days of 1960s free love, uh, you know, it was easy for Rodney to get laid because he was around these celebrities. People wanted to get to the celebrities, so they would get to him. That that's crazy, man. You know, I mean, he was the gatekeeper. Yeah. All right. Um, sometimes though, being friends with people, he'd be kind of involved with the process of creating music or whatever, and or reasons sometimes for songs. There was an incident where uh, he was hanging out with Sonny Bono from Sonny and Cher. Yeah. And uh, he was in a Italian place called Martoni's in Hollywood. And both of them got thrown out because they, they just didn't like the way they looked. All right. They were dressed like hippies or whatever. <laughs> and uh, that incident actually prompted Sonny to write the song Laugh at Me which is one of his best songs as far as I'm concerned. Uh, it's a song by Sonny and Cher, but Sonny alone sings it. And it's all about uh, basically, you know, don't judge me by how I look, you know, who, you know, that kind of thing. And uh, it was based on that incident of them getting thrown out of the, out of the restaurant. Um, he was also present at the recording session for Tina Turner doing River Deep and Mountain High recorded by Phil Spector. Wow. Okay, which is a great version of that song. He was present for that as well. He was also friends with Frank Zappa. Yep. And the GTOs, which was Zappa's protégés, the female band starring Pamela DeBar. Okay, uh, he was friends with them. Pamela DeBar was very close with Rodney, uh, and she was the ultimate groupie. You remember the book "I'm with the Band"? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's some stories in there. Um, by 1969 or so, though, he uh, became kind of disenchanted with what was going on in L.A. music-wise, and he decided to move to England, okay? Now, this would be a pivotal thing for him because when he got to London, 
he would meet David Bowie. He become friends with him. He also became became friends with Rod Stewart, and uh, he was right there at the beginning of glam rock with bands like T Rex. Yeah, so there was you know that was a very interesting time in England. Uh, the music scene was changing from kind of like hippie psychedelic to this glam rock, you know, stomping songs, great hard rock songs. Guys like Gary Glitter, guys like Mark Bowen and T-Rex, Bowie would come with that. Uh, uh, T-Rex was really kind of the first. Um, and he became friends with all these people and became very familiar with the music. He was and always like he, ahead of the, his time with music, you know that? He was he was ahead of the curve all yeah. the time with that. You know, uh, Bowie and him became fast friends, though. And that was at a time when Bowie was just starting out. Nobody knew who he was yet. Okay, you're talking 1970. Bowie really wasn't anybody yet. He was still, he had just been Davy Jones, basically. Um, in October of 72, he would come back to, to uh, California. Yep. And he, at the, at the kind of advice of a few friends, they said to, that he should open a club. He did just that. And he opened the English Disco at 8171 Sunset. All right. And that was on the strip. Now, this became a mecca of. Who's yeah, there? everybody was there. All right. Everybody was there. The, 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 now, there was a glam scene in L.A. All right. Wasn't as big as what was going on in England, but there was a glam scene there uh, based around uh, Bowie because Bowie would be in town sometimes. It was based around Alice Cooper. All right, who was who was based out of L.A. at that point, and and Detroit at that point, but he was often in Cal, off, often in California. He would hang out there. You had a young Joan Jett who was probably about fifteen years old at the time. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, yeah, the Stooges hung out there. Okay, now I don't know if you ever saw a picture of Iggy Pop with like blood all over his. That's chest. one of the pictures I'm and, putting and, up for the show. Oh, okay, with Ron Ashton in the Nazi outfit. Yeah. Okay, so Ron Ashton, the guitarist in the Stooges, and Iggy Pop singing. That that was a scene from the club. They were playing there, and he was wearing the Nazi outfit while he was playing. And he, you know, there's a scene where he kind of grabs Iggy, but Iggy's cut up. He's got blood all over him because he cut himself with glass on stage. Crazy shit. All right. Totally crazy shit. It was a it was a place of decadence. I mean, there was a lot of sex going on, a lot of drugs going on in those days. Um, it was open and free. Let me tell okay. you, what can and, you tell and, me about and, his VIP section? <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the club was not big, and the VIP section was definitely not big. It was a tiny little area in the back. With a with a roped off area, and you kind of like were two feet away from everybody. I thought that was great. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they tell that funny in that documentary how that went down. Um, you know, uh, uh, Bowie would show up a yeah. lot, and he, you know, he was Rodney was playing Bowie music before anybody. All right, I mean, Bowie was one of the. I mean, uh, he was one of the first people to ever play Ziggy Stardust in California, guaranteed. Okay. And uh, he would show up and hang out with everybody. And uh, Bowie is on record saying he was just shocked 
how much his friends knew about, you know, the British glam scene and British music in general, he he would go to him to try to find out what's the latest thing going on. Yeah, because I think he like pretty much he was also down with the whole um especially with the punk scene. He was very down with the punk scene, man, because he's like one of the first well, guys that actually, you know, like when you look at the documentary, there's a point where C Vicious is calling him at the show. Yeah, I mean, he had the radio show at that point, but you know, this is still yeah. when he's just got the club. The punk scene was just about ready to kick off. Um, what would happen is, uh, you know, people were amazed because, like, even guys like Robert Plant from Zeppelin would come yeah. to the club. Elvis, Elvis came to the club a couple of times. Robert Plant came. And Plant would say shit like, this Rodney guy gets more chicks yeah. than me. <laughs> All right. But the English disco would die in 1975. Rod- Rodney walked away from it because basically music was changing. Disco itself was, was the popular music. So he decided to, you know, close the club. Um, he would get offered a DJ role at KROQ, also known as yep. K-Rock, in Pasadena, California. And that's when everything would really fall into place for this guy. Okay? Uh, he would become a kingmaker. He would become a guy that if you made his show, yeah. he made it. You know? And, I mean, the only other person, there's two other people, I think, in in the, in the world that well, was like that was probably Ed Sullivan. Yep. And Johnny, Johnny Carson. Yep. Okay. And in the radio world, you know, maybe a deep, maybe, you know, maybe a Wolfman Jack or something could make you, there might've been a few others. Okay. But, you know, Rodney was the guy, he was the man. And, and in August of 76, he was offered this role. He, he accepted it as a DJ at KROQ. And uh, it, it was, he got the, the, the job based on his incredible musical knowledge and he would last there for 41 years until June of 2017. That's, that's incredible. But if you look at some of the who's who's that he brought in, he, he was playing Blondie. He played the Ramon, the Sex Pistols, Van Halen, yep. Guns N' Roses, Duran Duran, Joni Jets, the, 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 the Cure, the Hole, um, No Doubt. Um, um, like This guy plays everything. Oasis. Oasis uh, the the Bangle, yeah. X, the Germs, T, like this guy was playing everything, things that nobody even knew what it was. It was funny how no doubt, like I saw no doubt when they were punk punk a long time ago in New York City, and they were yeah. punk punk until they got into that album, and then they got very different. But no doubt was a, I remember Gwen Stefani jumping the top of a pole and holding it like a monkey, jumping around. It was insane. <laughs> yeah, I mean they were they were a punk band yeah. when they started very. Then they they changed, and he he was he was in the beginning of. Dude, the, even the uh, Sonic Youth he played. Yes, he did. He was one of the first. Um, now, one band that he wouldn't play, he never played, was the Eagles. In <laughs> <laughs> that time, in '76, you know, Southern California music was the yeah. Eagles. Okay, but he made it clear that you know he was going to play the music he liked. He would program his own shows. And KROQ gave him that complete control. And he was really the first DJ in L.A. to play bands, like you said, the Runaways, the Ramones, Blondie, Social Distortion, uh, Susie yep. and the Banshees, Suicidal Tendencies, X, the B-52s. Susan Quanto. All, oh, 
Susie Quattro yeah. also. Okay. Not many people were playing Susie yeah. Quattro at the time. All right. Now, he had this, like I said, for 41 years. Now, from the late 70s to the early 80s was probably the peak of all that. Um, one, one artist that he was very close with that would show up on his show a lot was Nina Hagen. All right. Now, Nina Hagen uh, is, a, is a German uh, Oh, is that the 99 the, Left Blues or whatever? No, that was, well, well that, yeah. Well, Nina is the song, the girl that did 99 yeah, that's, that's, okay? But, but Nina, Nina Hagen was on the show one time. And they, you know, they, they asked uh, her and they asked, the, she had a guest on uh, from the, the actress from the movie Christiane yeah. F., which was a great movie that had some good Bowie music and stuff. It's a German film about kids on drugs in Berlin and stuff. I have it at home. It's a good movie. But uh, the two of them were on his show, and, and he asked, you know, well, what are you listening to these days? And they pulled out this record, and it was 99 Luftballons. Yeah. All right. And it was the German version. If you yeah. remember, there was a ger- real German version of the song. And he loved it. He heard He heard the song, and he loved it. And... It was him that made that song. He made that hit. song a worldwide hit. <laughs> worldwide hit. And it was. And, you know, they came out with the English version and that, you know, that was a big hit. I remember that song at one point being everywhere. As a kid, that song, if let me read that video, that video was played a hundred million times on MTV. Yeah. I mean, it was an 80s new wave song that, you know, some people hated it. I always kind of thought it was catchy. Uh, it, it like captured that moment in the eighties when everybody thought we were going to die. Dude, let me tell you between that song and big country, I never want to hear those two songs ever again. (laughs) (laughs) I can handle 99 red balloons, big country. Holy shit. What a pack of shit, man. Oh yeah. 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 But those were, those were big hits, those songs. And he was very behind that. Um, also that same year in 83, uh, suicidal tendencies had written institutionalized. Yeah. Okay. And that was on that, that album. And, and he would add that to his rotation and he broke that band as far as I'm concerned. I mean, you know, they were, they were never going to be more than like a skater punk band outside that area, but he turned them into. A yeah. It's a station. Now, now the, you know, now the bass player from suicidal tendencies plays them. Wow. You know, so Rodney had his hand in a lot. Now, one thing he did, too, is he would come out with these like Rodney on the Rock, which was the name yeah. of his show, Rodney on the Rock, uh, compilations. OK, and I had a couple of these. I think I had two of them. There were three altogether. I think I have two of them at home on vinyl. Uh, it would be up and coming bands, bands like Social Distortion was on there, Agent Orange, a lot of like early 80s hardcore punk bands, X, stuff like that, I think, made the compilations uh that's how i heard of him here because you know being here in new york you weren't going to hear nah. his show in those days and uh it wasn't it wasn't syndicated over here but you know how how weird is that was, guy like that wasn't syndicated like you would think now if that guy was on he'll be all over the place um yeah you know i don't know how that never happened with him because syndication would start during the 40 years that yeah. he was there, not in the beginning, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, maybe he didn't want to, I, he's, 
He's kind of a he strange is. He cat is a strange cat. I, 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 yeah, I mean, I, I, I like the guy. You know, when you watch the documentary, you kind of get this impression of him that he's just <laughs> a regular guy. He's kind of sad, okay? Uh, he's a lonely guy, you know? Yeah, that's the thing. That's weird. Even though he's surrounded by all these people, he's still a lonely guy. Yeah, you know, um, one thing that would happen, though, when he would be doing shows at his radio station is bands would sometimes just knock on the door, okay? And they would, the parking lot door of the station, and they would hand Rodney copies of his single of singles or albums. And there were times Rodney would just slap something on during a show and be like, yeah. I like it. And, you know, he would continue playing their music and you know that would uh, that would propel a lot of bands. Um, we mentioned Kim Fowley before, yeah. the producer. Um, he would be working with a band, and he would say, "Okay, we recorded this, whatever. Bring it over to Rodney, and you know, see what he thinks." And there were bands that Fowley worked with that went on to bigger things because of you know throwing it on the Rodney show. Rodney, on you know Rodney. what's funny? Remember him talking about the Pedora? Payola about people getting paid? Yeah, the payola. He talked about yeah. it a little bit. He touched about it. So he said he never did that, you know? No, they're, they're very, that's that's very, uh, that's a big yeah. no-no now. But, you know, even in his time, you couldn't get away with that. But that was when people were getting paid to play music. He, he never no. did that. He never did that. I think, um, I think he just played the shit that he's, he liked, you know? Like, there was that group yeah. from Jersey that he fucking played that uh, drama drama. Drama Rama, which yeah, they they had that song. Uh, anything, anything that anything. and I and the and and they he made them. Oh, he did, he did, and and uh, a member of that band, Chris Carter, he became good friends with, and you know Carter would would become a DJ on his own after the band broke up, and he's an interesting cat too. Uh, uh, he has a show on Little Steven's Underground Garage on Sirius XM, and uh, he plays strictly like British singles from the 60s and early 70s. And it's a great show. I mean, you hear a lot of music that you, you never know, you know. And uh, I, I forget what it's called. Chris Carter's something, uh, British something. I forget the name of the show, but it's on it's on the Little Steven schedule. You ever have that station and listen to it? Um, by the '90s, the Brit pop era was kicking in, and you had bands like Oasis, and then later on, bands like Pulp or Coldplay. They were all played extensively on Rodney's Rodney's on the Rock. Okay, they play. He he played these bands and exposed, you know, Californians to this music, and that definitely propelled that whole scene. Yeah, it's you know amazing how this guy from, you know, California playing the hits and then they will become like national hits. Like what yeah, made it yeah. what 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 made him so like like so interesting like that? What the fuck, man? Cuz this guy like he's almost like he's almost like a wizard or something. Yeah, there's just something about him and you kind of pick up on it in yeah. the documentary. You know, uh, what it is with this guy. I mean, if you watch the documentary, I mean, Cher is talking about him. Yeah. Joan Jett, uh, Sonny Bono, uh, 
you know, famous, famous people. Nancy Sinatra yeah. was good friends with him. Uh, you know, Frank Zappa. Um, so many people. Alice Cooper's all over. Yeah, Mick Jagger talks about that. Right. Mick Jagger knows who he is. Yeah, you know, everybody everybody knew Rodney back yeah. in the day. You know, he knew so many people. But, again, the sense in the documentary is that with all that, he's not a happy guy. Okay? Uh, and, and I think he's happy in himself. And I, I can kind of relate to that. Okay? But he, he's, he's looking for... Uh, a, a, you know, a love of his life, okay? And there's parts of the documentary where, like, you know, it's obvious that, like, even his family is kind of, like, not... Yeah. They don't care. Because they didn't even have a picture of him. Yeah, they were like, fuck. Yeah, I mean, he, he goes he goes to, the, to see his father, all right? And there's a scene where there's no picture of him up anywhere in the house. And he's excited because he's like, oh, there's a scene, there's a there's a picture of me with the Easter Bunny, okay? And it's like way in the back of another <laughs> room, like behind something, you know? And you're like, Jesus, man, the, the, the guy's like famous and no, you know, I don't know. You, you would think that they would be more Let me tell the father wanted to be famous, but instead he settled for playing uh, celebrity golf. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he just, I don't know, that guy, I he didn't impress me, that guy. And then, and then, you know, the friend, uh, what was the girl's name that he Claudette was Claudette or with? something? Claudette or Claudette. I forget the name. Um, you know, in, in the movie, you think that they're kind of boyfriend and yeah, girlfriend. Yeah, because he was totally into her. Like, you could tell he was. A... He, yeah, he said how much he cared about her, how much he loved her. And then at the end of the documentary, you find out that, like, yeah, she's got she a said, boyfriend. Yeah, oh, yeah, Ronnie's a good boy. And, I have my boyfriend. I have my relationship, but he's the one yeah. that if I call late at night, he'll come it's pick like me a, up in the airport. Yeah, it's like yeah. he's being used, you know. And maybe he's happy like that, you know. It's, I'm not judging that, but it's just like I think it's sad, you know. I mean, he has all this, and then you're dealing. The movie deals with the fact that his mother just yeah. passed away, and he's got her ashes, and he's going to transport those ashes. To England because she wanted to be buried at sea, I guess, in the Thames. Yeah, there's a one like that. sea that River. he's throwing the ashes. Some kid asks him a question. Yeah, yeah kid goes, What's that? You know, shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You want to hear something? He was also, um, he also got his uh, own uh, star in the Hollywood Walk of Fame. He was yes, the 2,333rd yes, person to get a star. Yep. Oh, really? That's it. Okay, Dude, that was really he is. also on the Hollywood Squares? No, no, no. He called worked the with a band squares, called right? the Hollywood Squares. I was trying yeah, to figure that Hollywood out. I said, there was a band called the Hollywood Square. I don't think they talk about the show because this had to be the band. No, he. it was a band, yeah, that they were talking. He played them for the first time, too. He played so many people, man. Like, there were people there. Dude, he even, um, there was talk about that. He, like, he, this guy also hangs out with the Beatles. Yeah, he was friends with Paul McCartney he and hang, John Lennon. He hanged out with um, Jimi yeah. Hendrix. This guy was like, holy shit. He, he knew everybody. Kiss, yep, totally. Kiss also. Totally. Yep, yep. Everybody knew him because if you wanted to, if, you know, if you wanted to get 
made in California and sell records, you had to get on that show. And he interviewed people on that show. There's this. I was looking online. There's quite a few little things you could listen to with shows of his back in the day on, on KROQ. Um, what would happen, though, is by the early 2000s, his show would get cut to two hours and then it was pushed to like an overnight slot. On yeah, Monday from 12 night. to 3. Yeah, and, you know, KROQ was afraid to fire him because he was considered like the yeah. soul of the station. And they were like, if we fire him, you know, the station is going to go downhill. And he would kind of like ride on and hold on until June of 2017 when he would be let go abruptly by the management of the station. And, you know, it was like right after that, I think only a matter of a week or two that he connected with little Stevens underground garage. And he's got that show. I believe it's, uh, I think it's Sunday or Monday nights on, on uh, little Stevens underground garage, Rodney, you know, Rodney Bingenheimer show. Very wow. good. They, they were funny. Cause yeah. you even, you even saw Keanu Reeves knew him. A lot of even stars knew him. Hollywood starts also. So yes, definitely. Like he was, there was one point he said, um, most of the rock star know me because I have to introduce other rock star to other rock stars. Yeah, I mean, he 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 emceed a lot of events. You know, when there was a a major concert, he would be the guy that would, you know, Rodney from Rodney on the Rock come out introduce the band. You know, he did that yeah. hundreds and hundreds of times. You know, not too many people have that no kind of power. You know, in 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 music or movies or whatever that 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 have you know because he is a regular, regular guy. guy he's a soft spoken not... small little guy that you look at him you say he's probably the kind of guy that me and you would probably beat up in school <laughs> actually i, I kind of relate to him you know i mean i i like his his musical knowledge okay and and he really was devoted to it i was kind of very similar like that uh, growing up and everything, and I got my ass handed to me a few times. But you know, I, you know. But every once in a while, I beat the fuck out of one of them. You know? I just find it funny, like this guy with this this weird little guy. Like you know what? He's like he's pretty much he lived the American dream if you think about it. Yeah, yeah, and he lived through a time, a great time in our history, that you know we missed. Me and you missed by a few years, but. You know, that time in the 60s and, and early 70s, there was so much different styles of music coming together. He yeah. was right in the middle of that. Uh, he was pushing it along. He was he was part of the narrative. I mean, the guy the guy's blessed. But let no me doubt. ask you, did this guy you come know, from any kind of money? No. No. His yeah, mother, his mother I, I know that. Waitress, man. And then his, his dad... Was, his dad really had wanted nothing to do yeah. with it. But even with the dad, talk, oh, the mother was very difficult. Yeah, I mean, it seemed like there was there was issues there, and for many years he didn't know his father. But that seemed to be reconciled at some point. Um, yeah, I mean, I, he and, and Rodney himself didn't really, you know project into making a lot of money with what he was doing. I mean, he made a modest living. He has a, a modest house and he's got all his collectibles and, you know, he would he would make money over the years selling these collectibles. Like there's one point where he, 
I think around the English disco time where he sold his. Oh yeah, they were talking about. He was saying a lot oh, of his yeah. stuff because he got a he had a hell of a men, like a lot of uh, member readers. He had like stuff. He Mem- had a lot like when they yeah, sold his exactly. apartment. He had that coke hander with uh, Brooke Shields. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, he was he was friends with everybody. That Brooke was Shields that was crazy Elvis, when you see you know? a young Bruce Shield talk about. She's like, oh, I'm gonna be on the Tonight Show today. How you doing? And it was funny, man. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Well, you know, I'm glad that he's still out there once a week doing his show. Uh, he's. You know, he's not an old guy. Well, he's in his early 70s now, but he's still doing his thing. And everybody should kind of look into this guy and what he was about and, and what he did. I would Very definitely recommend guy. the um, documentary. The documentary was the excellent. Documentary. It's an easygoing yeah. documentary. It goes pretty fast, and it's there's so much information that they give. Yeah, it's called The Mayor of the Sunset Strip, and it's yeah. on Let YouTube me ask you a question. Free. What happened with that little meltdown he had at one point? Yeah, what the oh, hell happened Chris there? Well, you know, his buddy Chris Carter took a, a a DJ position at another station playing the same kind of shit that he was doing. Okay? Now, I don't know, you know, you see it in the documentary that, you know, they go off on him. He you said, know, he I made you. I, you know, like, what? To, yeah, you, you know, you're me. You know, you're yeah. basically me. I made you. But I, I don't know whatever happened with that because obviously they're both working at the same station now. So I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Carter helped get him in there. I don't really know. I'm just, I'm just, you know, guessing, but you know, because Carter was there before Rodney came over to the station. So maybe, yeah, you know, again, that I was a lot of so. history. You know, he, he actually is the one that put Chris Carter on the mat with that band. We thought we were, yeah. I mean, he played drama rama, the story with Drama Rama is they were a jersey and yeah. no one knew who the fuck they were. And then he found, a, I think it was a demo or something or an early recording or, you know, a, it might have been a completed album, but nobody was buying it and just started playing it. Yeah. That song, Anything, Anything. And that, that song actually was an MTV hit, yep. too. There was a video for it. And, you know, it was it was a big hit that summer. And... uh you know, made that band. It's funny. After that, that band made out probably six more albums they did after that. Before they called yeah, it quits. I think they did. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's true. It's true. So, all right, Rob. So that's what I got for you about. A uh, very Kenheimer. interesting character that, uh, that, 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 that you had, man. I, I was fascinated. Once I started reading some of the stuff and looking at this document, I was like, wow, man, this guy, this guy's something else, man. Well, you know, he's a West Coast guy, so East Coast people don't, you know, they might know of him, but they don't know a lot about him. But once I saw that documentary, now it's been 17 years already, it came out in 2003, that's wow. when I became really fascinated with him because he really had a hand in so much music that I like, you know, and I was like, wow, this guy was like right in the middle of it. And I started really paying attention, you know. But he's he definitely definitely was a fascinating person. Um, next week, the next show we're going to be doing is the making of George Harrison's yeah. All Things Must Pass. And this is another um, Phil okay. uh, Spectrum. Yeah. Phil Spectrum We've been on a little kick. Yeah. He, he wasn't even about to talk to this guy, too. 
Yeah. Yeah, he was friends it was with Phil like Spector. Shit, man. Ronnie was. And he yeah. was, yeah, like you say, he was in that for yeah. the end of the century album, <laughs> Clapping. Yep. Yep. That's right. That's right. So my, you know, and Joey, Joey oh, yeah, Ramone was singing the documentary yeah, with pictures of him and Joey. Do you yep, remember yep. the documentary? He's playing some kind of uh, punk rock and that girl's dancing all weird shit. Oh, I'm not sure. Probably. Yeah, but that yeah, girl, then he played some punk uh, rock and this girl's like putting her hand on her shirt and twisted, but it was like music that they didn't hear. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's some, you know, some crazy. How about shit the women on. with just the picture of the boobs, just taking out their boobs? <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I know. At the uh, at oh, the it was crazy, show, man. It was great. Yeah. So yeah, Mike, they, yeah, a lot um, of fun. Um. Yeah. So we got yeah. the all things must pass. Okay, and we got a show coming up on T Rex. Now. I'm just gonna say it now. Let's hope that we can do it. Uh, I was talking oh, yeah? to okay. Joey Pinta today. Okay, I, a little while ago on the phone, and he's been sending me some new music, which has been fantastic. I told him we're gonna do an interview real soon for the yep. Rocker Mike and Rob presents. Uh, when we're done with this, Rob, I'm gonna call you because I want to talk to you about that. And uh, with the T Rex show, I asked Joey. If you'd right. like to join us on that, because Joey's on record saying how much he loved T Rex growing up, and I think it'd be interesting if we do have him on as a guest, and we can get his insight on that early T Rex stuff. Because T Rex yeah. getting into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame this year, they've postponed the ceremonies yep. because of the coronavirus, but uh, you know they will be getting in, and it's it's you know I'm not a fan of the Hall of Fame. But whenever they put somebody in that I really think deserves it, I'll always hype it a little bit. And I'm glad. Yeah, they do. They're, they're they one of those bands that been out there forever. And you know what? They do deserve it. They got, you know, they're getting the, 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 the props. Definitely. Definitely. Mark Bowen is a, was a pivotal person in the history of rock and roll. He doesn't get a lot of respect here in the States, but hopefully that changes. Sometimes when people get into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, it really kind of you know, propels them into a little bit higher stratosphere here in the States. Mark is gone. He's been dead since 77, but you know, it'd be nice to see the music yeah. get played a little yep. more. Um, then we got a show about yeah, another poem coming up. Yeah, so on. there's a lot, so of a lot of stuff. Of um, and once we done down, that's pretty much May. May is done. Yeah. and Yeah, that's true. So we're good. And, uh, like I said, like All right, man, no problem. And show, remember, okay? people, don't get drunk, get lumped up. See, get drunk. see you soon.